and welcome to Overdrive, a program where we take a diverse look at cars and transport. I'm David Brown, and in this program we look at news stories including the February car sales figures and Goodyear reveals two different types of tyres at the Geneva Motor Show. We chat to one of the great commentators on traffic and transport planning. We have been to the launch of the Toyota Prius. Now, Toyota wants us to think it is not just a sensible car, but one that has some vroom. And in our panel discussion with Brian Smith and Errol Smith, we take a light-hearted look at stories, including does your car predict the way you vote? Have a question or a comment? Send it to overdrive at drivenmedia.com.au. You can podcast this program or segments including longer versions of the interview and quirky news by looking for Overdrive on iTunes or your favourite podcast service. Now, to start the program, let's have the news. Car sales for the first two months of 2016 in Australia show that Toyota is still number one, but its market share is slipping. The whole market is up nearly 5%, but Toyota sales are down over 4%. Ford has had two good months. Diesel sales in passenger cars continue to fall, having declined for private buyers by 19.5% compared to the same time last year. The same situation is happening in America, particularly in the light of Volkswagen's problems. Just 222 diesel cars were sold in the US in January, out of 1.15 million total sales during the same month. Goodyear has revealed two innovative new concept tyres at the Geneva Motor Show that could literally reshape the future, particularly for autonomous cars. The Eagle 360 is shaped as a ball and can roll in any direction, making manoeuvrability on a whole new level. The tyres would rely on a magnetic levitation system to provide propulsion and suspend the car. The result is not only tyres that could turn in any direction, but they would also give a smooth, quiet ride for the passenger. The 3D printed tread mimics the pattern of the brain coral and behaves like a natural sponge designed to stiffen in dry conditions and soften when wet. Drivers increase their crash risk nearly tenfold when they get behind the wheel while observably angry, sad, crying or emotionally agitated, according to Virginia Tech Transport Institute researchers writing in Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences. The article also reported that drivers more than doubled their crash risk when they chose to engage in distracting activities that require them to take their eyes off the road, such as using a handheld cell phone, reading or writing, or using touchscreen menus on a vehicle instrument pane. And, according to the Institute's research, Drivers engaged in some type of distracting activity more than 50% of the time they were driving. A study has found that 8 in 10 of all road users sometimes zone out for part or all of their journey. This has increased significantly from a similar survey in 2009 that found that 60% of people failed to concentrate sometime throughout their trip. Women who zone out are nearly twice as likely as men to compile a mental shopping list or to-do list, while men listen to music, the radio or podcasts. It also revealed that men are far less worried about being on autopilot and how that impacts their safety, 
with some 41% of men not bothered if they tune out sometime, 24% more than women. Peugeot Citroën has published real-world fuel consumption figures for three of its diesel cars, seeking to win over wary customers after the Volkswagen pollution cheating scandal. The French carmaker said the results were based on tests designed by two environmental groups, Transport and Environment and France Nature Environment. The cars were driven on public roads in town, outside town and on motorways near Paris in real-life driving conditions, with passengers, luggage, roads with hills and air conditioning switched on, Pedro Citroën said in a statement. Uber is looking to disrupt not just the car taxi industry, they are now looking to take on the motorbike taxi system in Thailand. The existing system is called Grabbike and has more than 83,000 registered motorcycle taxi riders who wear orange vests and wait for customers on street corners. But price is a major concern for passengers. While traditional moto taxis negotiate rates for each journey, Ubermoto has set the booking fee at just 38 cents plus an additional 13 cents for every kilometre. Each year there are many Car of the Year awards, but one of the most respected in Australia is the Australian Best Car Awards run by the Motoring Clubs. This year's winners show manufacturers embracing new technology to better protect road users. The winner of the coveted Judges' Choice Award, the Mazda CX-3 Max, was deemed the most relevant car, reflecting the popularity of small SUVs in the current market. All Volkswagen Group cars were excluded from this year's award after it was found that more than 90,000 vehicles sold in Australia had been fitted with software which produced false emission readings. And that has been the news. If you're interested in reading commentary on what are the real transport needs, what are the best transport solutions and how they will shape the way we go about our activities in our cities, then may I suggest reading Dr Alan Davies' writings, which you can find at crikey.com.au and look for the feature called The Urbanist. I find it so refreshing to read thoughtful comment that is not strident, one-dimensional, self-serving or, as is often the case, only written to support a preconceived idea. It is not only clever, it's expansive. There's no one simple solution and above all, we need to understand what a community needs out of a transport system, not just how we must build the sort of transport networks that we like. It's my pleasure to have Alan on the line now. Alan, thank you very much for your time. Pleasure to be here. I've read your material for a long time. Uh, it was only when we were chasing up that I realised uh, that we once worked for the same organisation but at different times. You've worked, uh, in this case, for the study group in New South Wales and for Treasury and other departments? I've worked for the State Transport Study Group. I started my career working in, um, in transport planning um, and modelling. And, but most of my time has been spent in policy work often on transport, but mostly on industry development. And these days I'm, I'm back discussing um, through the urbanist issues of transport, uh, architecture, planning, um, you name it, anything really to do with cities. 
I'll uh, I'll have a look at and see if I can add some value to the discussion. I think that's lovely that we actually have a broad view of that. It's not just focused on train bogies and, and other things. In fact, we seem to often get fixated with a mode of transport rather than the needs of the city. I offended some people in the tram lobby once when I said they tended to have a bit of the attitude of the answer's a tram, now what's the question? We need to actually look at what the real needs are, don't we? We do. We need to look at the problem. So if you've got a, um, you know, like a highly disaggregated, decentralised set of origins and destinations, well, something small and very flexible like a bus might be might be the appropriate solution. But when you get to a certain um, uh, level of demand and you need a lot of capacity, then perhaps light rail is justified on operational grounds. And then, you know, in due course, um, if there's a lot of very large numbers of people wanting to go from the same uh, or to the same place, usually from the same place, like from a, an airport to a city centre, rail might be the solution. But uh, yes, you've got to look at the problem and the um, the kind of a technology should be the end product, the dependent variable, not the, it shouldn't be at the front end. You talked about the generalist task. We, we tend to focus all on trips to the CBD and th- therefore we t- often end up with one or two very big projects while the rest of the area often gets left out. Well, yeah, that's really important because, um, you know, people, I think, they look at this city, metropolitan area, and they see this huge um, bundle of high-rise buildings in the city centre and they're thinking, well, that's where all the jobs are. That's where I work. That's where all the high-rise buildings are. But cities like Sydney and Melbourne, you've only got... 10% of jobs in the main traditional CBD, put in a few little additional areas, like in Melbourne you've got Docklands and place and um, South Bank, you're only up to 15% of jobs. Most jobs are not in the, in the city centre where the rail lines all converge. And we get focused almost on the capacity in a fixed corridor in one direction as though that's going to solve the whole thing. The other thing is, of course, we, we, that's one of the myths. You've just wrote a bit lovely article uh, about uh, a myth in Melbourne about the size of Melbourne. It was quoted in the Age newspaper that Melbourne is five times the size of London. Is it? No. <laughs> I think I know the article you're referring to. No, no, no. Of course, um, it's not that uh, people overlook the fact, um, whether deliberately or just by ignorance, that um, uh, while London has eight million people within you know, the traditional London area of the Greenbelt, it's done what every city in history has done. It, um, it's grown outwards and um, there's another four or five million people all in the outlying areas commuting in from you know, the outer Surrey and places like that. So, uh, and when you look at the, um, when you actually map the distribution of population, you see that uh, London's de- certainly denser than Melbourne but they co- and it's got many more people in the same area, but their footprint is pretty much the same the footprint on the land. The trouble is, of course, we make a myth and then we make wild conclusions based on that myth rather than really understanding the need. We do. And it's a vexed question, isn't How the heck can we get people to, um, in such a kind of politicised atmosphere, which is the way so much of our public discourse happens, to think about, well, let's proceed from the facts. It seems uh, it's much easier to proceed from a position uh, and then fit the facts to the... <laughs> to the outcome you want. And that's Alan Davies, whom you can go and listen or read his material by going to crikey.com.au and look for the section called The Urbanist. He's uh, really, as I say, some lovely balanced views 
which uh, need to be considered as we move to the reality of the future, not just our dreams. And Alan continues that interview in more depth. If you want to hear some other details, go to our website at drivenmedia.com.au or podcast from iTunes or your favourite iTunes provider. Overdrive, answering your questions across Australia. Just recently, Overdrive reviewed all the car ads played on the television broadcast of the 2016 American Super Bowl. One was for the Toyota Prius that went against all the previous perceptions of the car. It portrayed a scenario of bank robbers using a Prius as a getaway car, including fast corners, high speeds, police chases and hysterical news coverage. Uh, The Super Bowl ad made no mention of fuel economy or green credentials. Toyota's point is that the latest edition of the hybrid vehicle not only has great efficiency, but also a little bit of strong, perhaps, performance. Uh, This week they launched the car in Australia. Brent Davidson and I were there to drive the car on a variety of roads and on a private race circuit. Brent, uh, who is an independent motoring journalist, joins us on the line to discuss this. Uh, Brent, the video was spectacular and in fact too spectacular for the Australian market. They would not be allowed to show it here. Uh, Do you think it uh, made a change for the Prius image? Well, funny you should ask that, David. I, I, I think it may have a little bit of kick for the press. I, I like the fact, though, that they, they pushed this little notion of Prius, even even Prius thieves having a bit of a conscience. Uh, it was quite nice, and 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 this is what the Prius is. It is it is the vehicle with a with a slight social conscience, if you like. We'll talk about the looks in a minute because it used to be a bit gawky looking. I think they've improved that. But the interesting thing in the launch, they didn't actually mention the power. No, well, yeah, it's it's, it's not something that you jump up and down about, and and, and it. it it gets a little confusing because we have the, the power and torque of the petrol engine, the power and torque of the electric engine, and then the combined power and torque, which is not the sum total of the power and torque of the electric and petrol engine. So it, it all gets a little confusing. Just just go with the fact that it produces 90 combined kilowatts and, and leave it at that, I, I think, anyway. So you, you're going to feel power or lack, lack thereof, however you perceive it, through the seat of the pants anyway. Yeah, it's not punching in the back by any means. It, what's your expression about gaining momentum? Yeah, it doesn't accelerate. It, it gains momentum quite nicely. But equally, they've, they've set it up and it drives quite well. But, I mean, the, the incredible thing about it is that it's rated overall as 3.4 litres per 100 uh, now, that's a rating. You might not quite get that on the road. But in fact, it's almost the same in city driving as it is on the country. Yeah, it is. And, and I noted yesterday that the drive that we, we put in, um, probably a couple of hundred kilometres, and, and the fuel gauge moved by about all two millimetres for the entire trip. I mean, it, the car for, for a drive of, of 200 plus kilometres, the, the gauge moved 
less, it used less than a quarter of a tank of fuel, which is quite stunning given that we drove out of Sydney through through the city traffic, north up the uh, up the M1, um, basically did a, did a U-turn halfway up, and then did a repeat back to back into the city. Um, so we, we basically covered all all the things that the car will be used for. And while we were up there, we did a few hottish laps around a, a, a little racetrack. Now, the incredible thing about not moving much on that is that the petrol tank is only 43 litres, so a quarter of a tank there is not nearly as much as a quarter of a tank on most other cars. Exactly right. I mean, where, where this annoys me is that I, I pride my, take great pride in, in, in owning a small uh, Korean hatchback, and I boast about my 7 litres per 100. Well, uh, yeah, the, the Prius had a good kick in the pants yesterday. Yeah, it is. And and it's uh, got a lot more features, but uh, the base model's up a bit in price and the top model's down a bit. What what are the figures? The car starts at 34990 Now, this is where it gets a bit confusing. When when the first generation Prius went on sale here about uh, 4 million years ago, or 16 years ago, if you prefer that option, uh, it was 39990 So you're getting a bigger car with a whole lot more equipment, better fuel consumption, $5,000 cheaper than it was 16 years ago. In absolute dollars, let alone taking inflation into account. Exactly right. And then, then there is a, a sort of a slightly upmarket version um, with a bit of extra equipment, $42,990. Mm. $8,000 step over the, um, over the base model. But, you know, they were saying that uh, they expect the split to be about 75-25 base model to the, to the more upmarket one. And... Really, uh, I can see why. You know, you you don't really need all the little giggles and doodads that that the more expensive car brings you. Brent, lovely to talk to you. Thank you very much for your time. David, it's always my pleasure. Brent Davidson, an independent motoring journalist, who and he and I went to the launch of the new Toyota Prius. Something that uh, had an image of environmentally sensitive, still got that, still does that very well. It's also got a twinge of saying that it's got a bit of more broader character along the way. And a longer interview with Brent and I about the new Toyota Prius can be found on our website at www.drivenmedia.com.au or go to your favourite podcast supplier and look for Overdrive. And in that discussion, we talk a lot about the looks of the new Prius. Does it live up to its more sporty image? Overdrive. If you have a question, suggestion or comment, send an email to overdrive at drivenmedia.com.au. And now it's that time again where we talk with Brian Smith and Errol Smith about quirky news stories. Gentlemen, thank you for your time. G'day, David. G'day, David. Talking about the presidential elections, as we often lapse into in this program, we seem to do, there is a story out of America. Now, it's put together by the Car Talk people. They were lovely two brothers, sadly one died of Alzheimer's, that used to put on this show, was syndicated all over America. Very popular, so very funny, very clever and witty in its way. But they've t- surveyed, polled 10,000 people and asked them two simple questions. 
What car do you drive and what candidate do you hope is elected president? And they've got some very, very interesting results. Gentlemen, do you think there might be a link between the two? Is this going to be our real polling? I can't see the point. I would have thought that money could be better spent doing anything but asking them what car they drive and what candidate they like. The thing I like, right? Bernie Sanders and Hillary Clinton supporters get the cars get about 28.5 miles per gallon, whereas Republican candidates uh, and, and particularly Trump supporters are just 23.6 miles per gallon. Uh, some of the other Republicans are around the 24. They've got more money, David, so they just don't care. I think we see that um, 86% of electric car owners would vote for a Democrat and only 14% for a Republican. So, yes, yeah, there, is, there are definite... Um, I mean, we know that cars say things about people and to people. So, so in a sense, the Americans have freedom of speech and one of the ways they indulge in speech is by the vehicle that they choose and the way they drive it and how they behave. So, so it's, it's no surprise, I suppose, that those people who share Republican values are more likely to drive the Dodge Durango or the Ford Explorer than a Toyota Prius. I think Dodge is, in fact, the favourite brand for Donald Trump. But the interesting thing is that correlation or causation, if it was causation, then you just make everyone buy an electric car and we'd have a Democrat. <laughs> <laughs> I was wondering if if there's a simpler answer, which is is based more around where they live, because Maybe. where you live can can yeah. determine what kind of car you're more likely to to purchase. Hilly area down in Texas with bad roads, you might be more likely to get an SUV. I, I don't know. Okay. Yeah. So. yeah. Well, the other aspect, rather than um, you know giving people electric cars and and then having Democrats elected, is is possibly give everyone an electric car and then the Republican side basically uh, invade an oil producing country. <laughs> I like that you can you can sort of for the left leaning be, be can can be sort of the left lane. Oh, drivers, okay. you know, yeah, yeah. they're on the conservative side, whereas the uh, the right wing is more of the, your right lane overtaking Hoon. I like the fact that Clinton fans apparently are steady performers and not particularly flashy. That's Hillary Clinton, of course, not yes. Bill Clinton. Talking about flashy. <laughs> Brian, a religious story. David, have you ever heard of um, the Pastafarians or the Church of the Flying Spaghetti Monster? It was a a phony uh, sort of religion that was uh, created um, not so many years ago, 2005, uh, as a spoof against some of the more bizarre beliefs of other religions. And um, people started taking to, in a joking way, aligning themselves with the Church of the Flying Spaghetti Monster and calling them Pastafarians. And one of the amusing elements of being a Pastafarian is, is the wearing of a colander on your head. So, uh, of course, the colander used to drain spaghetti. So some people started insisting that they um, ought to be able to have a photograph of themselves with a colander on their head on their driver's licence because you know, their religious freedom would be uh, impeded if they, um, they weren't able to do this. Well, in Russia, a pastafarian has, uh, has sort of found himself hoist on his own colander as... Um, the Russian, um, the Russian authorities have, have set, agreed, reluctantly agreed, yes, you may wear a colander in your driving licence photo. And in fact, he, for some reason, his uh, partner knitted him a knitted colander. So he, he's had his photograph taken with the colander and, the, and the, um, the police have said, well, 
you need to wear this now because this is who represents who you are in the car. So if you're stopped and you're not wearing your colander, your license will be taken away because the picture on the license would not show him as he is. So a um, bit of a, a outmaneuvered there, David. I think that's, I think that's a lovely response. <laughs> Everyone should do that because it's monumental waste of time, you know, a ridiculous waste of time. I wonder, though, do, do they apply the same rule to other people from other well, religions if they're wearing their, their headgear of whatever they're... I they're... suspect not. Well, if you're wearing a dog collar, do you have to do that? I mean, clothes make you look different. If I wear dark colours, my face looks pale. Should I therefore do that? What if I'm wearing a beard or earrings or piercing? Yes. What happens if I have a facelift? It's a real trial of faith, really, isn't it? But I, I like seeing this, these people outmaneuvered, this silly folk wasting people's time. I noticed that this knitted colander is bright yellow. So I, I thought it was just a safety thing. It was sort of doubling as high-vis gear. Okay. <laughs> not, not a piece of protective equipment. I don't think it's going to save his head much. I wonder if he wear it on a motorbike. When you're riding a motorbike, the other there's another photo of a, the English fellow who, uh, who the, the Department of Motor Vehicle Licensing uh, wrote to him and said, look, um, they may do this in other countries, but the just does not mean the UK has to follow suit. They basically, you know, your license is a valuable document. Please don't take the piss. Is basically what they've said to yes. him. But uh, you know, if you've got a metal colander balanced on your head, how would you fit that under your motorcycle helmet? That's true. I think that's a very good point. Now, Errol, you have a story. Well, McLaren, David, they're not exactly known for making practical vehicles. More like expensive, impractical, but very, very fast supercars. And, of course, the odd F1 race car. However, McLaren's press release for the new 570 GT is full of words like practical, luxurious, relaxing, and comfortable. Uh, apparently, it's practical because it has a boot, if you can call it that, with a side-opening glass lid reminiscent of the uh, E-Type Jag. It's comfortable because they put in electric seats. It's luxurious because it has a sunroof. And it's relaxing because they toned down the exhaust note a bit and put some fancy tyres on that are a little bit quieter than the usual ones. But it's all pretty token effort because this thing will still get you to 100 k's an hour in 3.4 seconds and hit a top <laughs> speed of over 326 kilometres an hour. Uh, all the while draining $300,000 from your wallet. All right, gentlemen, that is always very good. You know, I enjoy our conversations. Thanks very much for your time. You're welcome, that David. David. And that's Errol Smith and Brian Smith, and we were talking the more unusual, quirky stories to do with motoring and transport. And a longer interview is available on our website at drivenmedia.com.au or podcast through your favourite podcast supplier where we talk more about can a luxury car also be practical and Nissan's use of autonomous technology to apply in other areas such as your office chair. And this has been Overdrive. My thanks to Errol Smith, Brian Smith, Brent Davidson and Paul Just for their great help during the program. You can podcast this program or segments by going to iTunes or your favourite podcast service. Overdrive can be heard across Australia on the Community Radio Network. I'm David Brown. Thanks for listening. <music>